I have anxiety and I would like to manage it better. That's the topic of today's show. Welcome to Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph. And this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how we can show up well for the responsibilities and the opportunities that life sends our way. Thanks so much for tuning in. As we get started, there's one phrase that always sticks out to me when I'm thinking through mental health and mental health awareness, and that is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so we're going to kind of tackle that today. What does it look like to be proactive when we understand that we have anxiety running? And then when it shows up, what are the reaction pieces that we can do to help mitigate some of the consequences of anxiety or to kind of ease ourselves through it as helpfully as possible? I do want to start by giving some context about why health is so important to me. And um, because I know there are many people in my life, um, you know, I stand in front of students every day. I speak about health and wellness. You know, I I have a a network of, of friends and family, and I know that there's a lot of people who kind of tune into my actions because I do speak very um, passionately about health and wellness. And I want to give some kind of some backstory of why it's so imperative in my life that I am disciplined in a particular way. And it's something that I hold myself to, I don't hold others to, because I understand my specific history and why these interventions and why intentional living is so necessary for me. And so I wanted to share that with you, because figuring out our why for wellness is going to be a vital part of committing to the process. And one of the pieces in my own um, story is there's a pretty significant trauma history. And as I've become more educated about what trauma does to the body, I know that organically I'm at a higher risk of heart disease. I'm at a higher risk of cancers. I'm at a higher risk of early death because of situations that have unfolded in my life. And so if I'm not taking proactive measures day to day, which in reality are actually reactive measures to try to um, mitigate some of the consequences of a trauma history, then I'm, I'm setting myself up possibly for long-term consequences. And so I operate with acute awareness of what, what the body goes through when trauma is experienced. And as much as I'm working on healing, you know, psychologically from my trauma, I also have a, a body that has the, you know, residual effects of a trauma history. And so I want to treat it as well as possible considering its background. Now there's several other pieces that run for me. Number one, I spent about three years working in an Alzheimer dementia unit. And I, you know, I'm an academic. I'm someone who loves the brain and to watch people lose their cognitive faculties that fills me with an extra urgency and emphasis to protect my cognitive faculties as much as possible because I understand what it looks like when someone loses that part um, of, of their of their story. It's, it's very difficult. It's very hard. I also spent about five years working at Spectrum uh, Health Neuro Rehab, and these are people who woke up one day, and many of these people woke up one day and just went on to live their life or, or had plans for the day, and something came along, whether it was an accident, whether it was, um, you know, some sort of life event unfolded, where now they're in a compromised position or at least in a changed position going forward, and now they're depending on other people for their care. And so I understand that life events unfold very, very abruptly in some of our stories. And if that's true in my story at some point, I want to be as well as possible proactively so that there's not a a more um, difficult outcome for those who have to care for me or so there's not a more difficult outcome for myself to navigate a compromised life posture. And then about five years ago in my story, there there is something that just drastically altered the trajectory of my life. Um, We walked a health journey with my mother-in-law and, um, you know, at, this, at the start of 2016, my father-in-law got, uh, got ill, 
And um, within about two months, he had passed away. And then about six weeks later, my mother-in-law took ill. And um, the way it looked for her was there was a brain tumor that we um, were aware of. And then we found out that the brain tumor was actually um, cancer metastasizing. Uh, so it was lung cancer and it, it had you know filled her body. And so um, from April through September of that year, we walked just the most painful journey with her. Um, she came and she lived in our house and, and we were her, her front line of defense and her care team. And we walked through brain surgery and we walked through chemo and radiation. And at that point in my life, I was physically the most unhealthy I had ever been. Um, I would even say psychologically, I was I was going through a really tough time because grief and pain and, and, and death, those are such jarring experiences on their own. But also it was contributed um, to by my own unhealth at that in that season. And all I remember um, is a, being acutely aware at each step in her journey of how unhealthy I was and how if someone ever had to take care of me someday, um, I was living a lifestyle that would make it so difficult to walk alongside me in my own healing or recovery journey. And that was the impetus for me changing my life. And that was the impetus for me um, to really kind of drastically alter what was going on with myself. And I often say that she lost her life in that process, but she gave me my life in that process. And what I mean by that is I've never lived, um, I've never looked back and lived that life of unintentionality. I've since that point in time, I've, I've looked forward and said, you have a responsibility here. You have this one life. You have to use it well. And she was a big part of that story. And, and while I, I grieve that loss and I miss her and, and she was such a, a strong woman, She's equipped me to live my life differently because of her lived experience. And so I know my why. I know why I commit to this process as intentionally as I can each and every day. And so as we talk about you know, mitigating anxiety and as we talk about strategies that, that you can use to navigate life well, I heavily encourage you to figure out your why. And so the goal for today is to establish the why and you would have to figure that out in your own story. What's the purpose of living well? But I want to really sit with you for a while in the how to live well. And there are, there are many strategies and many things that you can do to both proactively push back against anxiety and also reactively cope with anxiety. But really, a lot of um, the best advice comes down to living intentionally with the building blocks of life. And that's going to be with sleep and with uh, movement and with nutrition. And that is going to be something where we're going to spend a little bit of time on what do best practices there look like. But also, there's some other pieces, um, referring back to Wednesday's episode with being kind of more intentional, slowing the pace down, some of those strategies of, you know, intentional breathing and mindfulness. And then the other two pieces, in addition to the, the normal kind of building blocks that we, we want to consider, mental health is, is an imperative piece. So stewarding your mental health well and being intentional with your mental health is going to be um, really helpful in most people's holistic wellness overall. And then the last one is healthy relationships. And that is something over the course of the podcast, I want to dive into repeatedly again and again, because we are created for connection. And it's imperative that we understand just how essential surrounding ourselves with healthy people actually is. And so not only would the goal be, you know, for listeners and, and in my own personal life and with my friends and my family and my students, not only would the goal be to be well, but to surround yourself well with people who 
hold you to a standard, with people who hold me to a standard, with people who model the behaviors that I want in my life, with people who um, surround me with information and uh, motivation. Those are beautiful pieces of holistic wellness. And um, we're going to talk through sleep, exercise, and nutrition today. Um, We talked about the mindfulness a little bit um, on Wednesday's episode. The entire show was dedicated to mental health. And then I really will, going forward, spend a lot of time talking about relationships because it's just such a vital part of what we need to do to maintain health in our lives and to reduce anxiety. And so uh, the, the latter three aren't necessarily going to be hit on all that much today, but sleep, exercise, and nutrition are going to be kind of the three building blocks that we need to put some intentional effort in, cultivate some health habits there. And in doing that, we're going to organically push back against anxiety And the goal is to to work on habituation. So habit formation in these certain categories is going to be one of the best places to intervene on anxiety and also one of the best places when anxiety shows up. It's going to be great um, if habits are in place. It's going to really kind of uh, limit how much anxiety can derail us. And so let's start with sleep. Um, One of the books I would really recommend, it's very sciencey, very technical, but it's just beautiful research. It's called Why We Sleep. Um, so many pieces of that book are are just, for me at least, they feel like paramount pieces of information to convey to people. One piece is just the, the necessity of our teens having access to good sleep and the parallels between drowsy driving and drunk driving. And the research bears it out that, you know, teens who are undersleeping, who are driving our roads, are just at astronomical odds of, of bad things happening happening in really in far greater measure than what happens with drinking and driving. And so we've spent a lot of time and resources at the government level talking about drinking and driving, but there's not a lot of education about what it looks like to be drowsy and driving and the outcomes are really poor. The uh, level of um, fatalities, the level of uh, accidents that are directly contributed to drowsy driving, it's staggering. So for me, sleep is not just about, um, you know, being well yourself, but how we navigate life around us is going to be heavily influenced by how much sleep we have. And there's, um, in that book, they cite that there's about a 36-hour delay on our sleep, and this, for me, with many clients, is really helpful um, for us to walk through together. Because if you're sleeping poorly on Sunday, you're not necessarily going to feel it on Monday, but you're probably going to have a very taxing Tuesday. And so when I'm working with clients in their stories, and they say, you know, I had such, you know, such bad mood swings on Tuesday, or I was feeling really lethargic, or really touchy or or grumpy that day, I'll often ask them to look back not at the previous night's sleep but two nights ago. And often if uh, sleep is dysregulated or they didn't have adequate amounts, it actually explains some of their higher angst 36 hours forward. And so um, understanding what our body needs for sleep, understanding what our body goes through when it doesn't have access to adequate sleep, those are going to be pieces that with anyone coming with anxiety, we're going to really parcel through uh, what their sleep history looks like. If sleep is dysregulated, one of the pieces we go back to is what we said on Wednesday, there's going to be things that you need to do to slow your pace down. That's just the reality of it. If you have reduced energy, you're going to have to navigate at a gentler pace 
and sleep is going to be one of the pieces that number one will support energy very well if you're getting adequate sleep but it's going to also impede energy to a pretty large degree if you're not getting enough sleep and so we have to start with the bare basics of sleeping enough um, research says that you know those who are sleeping four five six hours a night and claim that it's enough it's simply not enough you've just habituated to it and um, research also says that if you're one who burns the candle at both ends all week and, and says that you're going to res uh, have restorative sleep on the weekend, categorically, that actually doesn't work either. You don't get to borrow and lend sleep throughout your week. You really need to be consistent. And that's going to be one of the things I work through with clients very intentionally up front. So sleep really does have to be the priority. And then the next piece I prioritize with clients is movement. Movement is going to be something also that will organically release um, feel-good endorphins, and it's going to help suppress cortisol. Sleep does a great job of pushing back against cortisol, which is our stress hormone. Movement is that second piece that really is going to push back against cortisol. And so when you are having anxiety or you're having high stress, the best way to stay chemically regulated is through sleep and through exercise. Those are going to be things that can be super helpful. Now, exercise also is going to be used as an energy expenditure. Anxiety generates a lot of energy. And if we're able to dispel some of that energy or we're able to release it, that's going to categorically be one of the more healthy and helpful things that we can do for our bodies. Movement also helps us take a little ownership in our lives. And so what I walk with clients through is I personally have three things that I must do every day. One of them is going to be my devotions. One of them is going to be intentional movement. And one of them is going to be um, eating at least five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Those are my bare minimums. So it's so habitual right now that even in seasons of high stress, if I go to bed and I feel like, oh man, I wasted a whole day, I check in with myself and those three things have been done every day for the last several years, it's just what I do. And so I never have like a quote, wasted day, because those are pieces that are my bare minimums and I focus them around things I can control. Movement is something I can control. Now, I don't necessarily have, you know, 60 minutes of cardio scheduled in each day. That That's not realistic with my lifestyle right now. But what I do is on days that I don't get intentional movement in, so I don't go for my walk in the morning or if I'm not able to make my boxing class, what I am going to do is between each client, I'm going to take my five minutes and I'm going to pace the hallways at work. Number one, that's just great after I've been sitting for you know 50 to 55 minutes with a client. It's always great to kind of move my body, but it, it's also a mental reset for me and it's calm reassurance that even in the small moments of my day, I'm doing something that's proactive, something that's health oriented and something that is restorative for my body. And then the third piece that we wanna talk about today is nutrition. And I wanna be very clear, you can tackle nutrition a hundred different ways and still be a healthful person. I think we get so caught up culturally in certain trends and we call them like the end all be all. And I'm gonna put myself in that category. I have done all different types of eating styles and when I'm in them, I not only do I adhere to them, but I promote them and I try to convince other people that my way is the right way. And categorically, that's just not accurate. Uh, we can do nutrition in a whole host of ways, but you do need a style. So my supervisor one time compared it to hygiene. He said, 
It doesn't matter what you do as long as you have a routine that you adhere to every day. So maybe your routine is a really lengthy one where you have to shower and shave and, and teeth and makeup and all of the things. Whereas someone else's routine might be, you know, run a comb through their hair and gargle some mouthwash. Maybe that's the extent of what they do, but you have to do something. There has to be structure because if it is a free-for-all, there's a good chance that you're going to have some consequences from that. So any type of structure should be fine. Pick something that works for you. Pick, you know, something where you're eating more of a, I'm, I'm a protein and veggie first type of gal. There's going to be some people that are, you know, diehard ketogenic people, diehard paleolithic people. We're going to have diehard Whole30 people, uh, yeast-free diets. I mean, there's so many places to go with it. But I think one of the more gentle approaches that I really like is I, I prioritize protein because I, I lift and I want to make sure that um, I'm sustaining that particular part of my life. And then I have my bare minimums of fruits and vegetables. And as long as I adhere to that every day, I'm on the right track. And the flexibility piece comes in with about an 80-20 kind of structure where 80% of my day is clean eating and I have some wiggle room for that 20%, you know, whatever that looks like each and every day. So it's not super restrictive. But we, we try to really work with clients on structure does matter. Having a free-for-all, it just doesn't work well, especially when something like anxiety and stress is showing up. If you don't have any sort of framework that you're operating out of, then a lot of life becomes a free-for-all. And that's just categorically there are poor health outcomes associated with that. So early on in the show, I mentioned that we were going to talk about both proactive and reactive measures to managing anxiety. Here's the kicker. Sleep, exercise, and nutrition, they are proactive. The minute your uh, anxiety is spiking, those are also going to be the reactive pieces that you want to be working on. It's not a big mystery. So if you're stressed or not stressed, if you have anxiety or you, you don't have a lot of anxiety, you still want to be intentional about sleep and exercise and nutrition because they really are some of the ways to be the most healthful. In taking care of yourself well and, and taking care of those measures in your own life, it's going to help model that for those who are watching you. And it's also going to help you navigate better with those who are counting on you. And so as we wrap up today, I want to remind you that establishing your why is most important. And there's a lot of flexibility with the how you become healthy, how you maintain health. But uh, sleep, exercise, and nutrition really do need to be a part of that sequence at some point. So as we wrap up, I want to say thank you for connecting with me this week. I appreciate you following along. Feel free to connect with me at Healing Through Pain on Facebook, or you can find me on SoundCloud. There's also an email link there. Have a good rest of your day.